Hey everyone, this is Alex Miller. Welcome to episode seven of the Barbell Den. On today's episode, we're going to talk about wealth creation um, and sort of five lessons that I think about when it comes to wealth building. To me, this is different than personal finance, and I still owe you folks a session on sort of the way I think about uh, my personal finances tactically, right? What my portfolio allocation looks like, sort of some of the specific tactics that I do, and we'll get we'll touch on it a little bit today as I think about my personal finance setup. Today is definitely more high level. Here are five lessons that I call on or that I tell people when they ask me any, any sort of money question. Some other housekeeping stuff. So this one will just be me today, but the next three guests are really exciting and I think a little bit different. So I'm looking forward to that. I was also doing some reflecting this week. I know that the concept is healthy, wealthy, and wise. I know we spent more time on healthy and wealthy. So I'm still thinking about how wisdom slash happiness sort of fits into the overall equation. I do think I'm probably better equipped to talk about fitness and money, wisdom, happiness. Those are really big topics. So more to come on that, but just something that I'm thinking about. I guess the last thing I'll say before I jump into the episode today, definitely let me know what you think. I, I mentioned before my Instagram handle is A22mil. Um, and you know, a lot of you guys have my um, can connect with me personally. I think I've gotten some really good recommendations from friends. So definitely let me know what you think of the show this far. With that, let's jump into it for today. So again, the theme for today is five thoughts slash lessons on on money. So lesson number one, and, and this is probably the most powerful money influence in my life. There were two people in my life growing up. Let's just call them Jack and Jill. Jack was the one that, you know, drove the really nice car, had a beach house, nice restaurants, so on and so forth. And Jill was the one where, you know, really modest house, modest car, modest shoes, etc. So growing up, my perception was, whoa, Jack's really got it going on. And Jill... Jill's super nice, but like, she's not crushing it from a financial perspective. As I got older, though, and as I got to learn more and talk with them and make my own observations, I realized that perception was not reality. So Jill is probably the most financially well-off person that I know by far. And Jack isn't necessarily terrible from a financial perspective, but Jack has nowhere close to as much money as Jill. So if, but if you ask anyone on the street, hey, look at this person's life, look at this person's life, who has more money? The answer would be obvious. And it's not even close, right? That to me is the the, the lesson that I think about the most from a financial perspective is, do you want to appear rich or do you want to be rich? The premise of the book, The Millionaire Next Door is like what the author says is, look, I'm going to go, I want to see what wealthy people do. The authors say, hey, we're going to go to the richest neighborhoods, right? Nice cars, big house, fancy school districts, et cetera. But what they found is when they dug under the covers that those people, a lot of those people aren't even wealthy, right? So if you want to interview millionaires, you literally have to go all across the country. Big houses, small houses, rural, urban, et cetera. All to say perception is not always reality. And you have no idea what people's financial situation is unless you talk to them. Or really, you may never know. A lot of the people that are really wealthy, like this person Jill I'm talking about, very subtle, humble, is not going to tell you about it. This is a really powerful lesson for me. Again, do I want to appear rich or do I want to be rich? 
Lesson number two is around wealth definition. So the question I'd ask you as a listener is like, when, when, what does it mean to be wealthy? And I think a lot of people would say, well, I want to have a million dollars. I want to have $2 million. I want to have $3 million. But I think you actually need more data. And I think there's a, a better definition of wealth. So let me give an example. If someone has a million dollars in the bank, but they spend $500,000 a year, to me, they're not wealthy, right? They have two years of, of runway. And this is the definition of wealth that Balaji Srinivasan talks about. And what he says is, look, don't think about wealth as a number measured in dollars. Think about it as measured in time. The numerator is how much money do you have? The denominator is how much money do you spend annually, right? So by his definition, if someone had a million dollars in the bank, but spent 500,000 a year, they'd have two years of wealth. But if someone spent or someone's worth $100,000, but spends 20,000 a year, they have five years of wealth. So by his definition, the person who has $100,000 in the bank is actually wealthier than the person who has a million dollars in the bank. So if you take this calculus one step further, the way I think about wealth accumulation is the numerator, how much money am I making? Denominator, how much money am I spending annually? So even when I get raises, the key is you you know, you can't have lifestyle creep. If you get a $20,000 raise, but just spend $20,000 more, then you're actually not better off. You're not accumulating wealth faster. So the the anecdote that I always think about is I have a buddy who works in manufacturing and he told me this one story of, um, uh, you know, a, a guy's been working there for about 30 years, right? So 30 years ago, him and his wife come up with a budget. Every year since then, he has gotten a raise. He never told his wife though. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily. But so what happened is they said, hey, we're gonna spend and making some up forty thousand dollars a year. First he was making fifty, then he was making fifty-five, then he was making sixty. All this time though, he was still spending forty thousand dollars a year. So that to me is the way to accumulate wealth. You need to you want to increase your numerator, but the people that you want to increase the amount of money you're making, but you also want to maintain or maybe increase not as fast as the numerator from a denominator perspective. So what I mean by that, let's give a specific example. If you make $100,000 and spend $50,000 a year, you would accumulate two years of wealth per year that you were. Let's say you get a $50,000 raise. So now you have $150,000 coming in. If you increase your spending by $25,000, so you're, you're making $150,000, you're spending $75,000, by the definition of wealth accumulation, you're actually in the same spot you were the year before. If you get a $10,000 raise, great. Just If you want to increase your standard of living, fine, but make sure it doesn't go up as fast as or it doesn't increase as much as your raise or else you're you're no better off for it. And I think people really get that wrong a lot. Like I see, you know, every promotion someone gets, they move into a new apartment. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Lesson number three, I call the money dial or I don't call it. There's an author, Ramit Sethi, who wrote a book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And I actually think it's such a good book. It's probably worth me doing a deep dive on one episode on that book. The idea of the money dial is, you heard my first two lessons and you're like, well, Alex, life is supposed to be fun, blah, 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 blah. And I get it, right? Like, And I don't eat ramen noodles and go to McDonald's every day for, for, for dinner to optimize costs, right? I like to have fun. I go on vacation. I play pickleball. I do stuff. Like I spend money. So I think the, the, the other idea people get wrong is being wealthy and enjoying life 
are not mutually exclusive. What you need to do, and this is the money dial concept is, you need to pick your spots. What I always tell my friends is, look, you can't like vacations and like nice cars and like nice watches and like nice restaurants and blah, blah, blah. Like you need to pick where you want to turn your money dial up and what Ramit Sethi says, and then ruthlessly cut costs on the things you don't enjoy. So as an example, for me, I like to travel. I like to go out to eat and I don't mind spending money on soccer and pickleball stuff. However, on other things, I feel like I definitely cut costs, right? Like clothing, I don't spend a lot of money on. My rent for someone in my income bracket is definitely on the lower end of the spectrum. My car is like a very basic Honda Civic. And those are the decisions that I make, right? So I'm turning the dial up on things like vacation, on things like soccer, pickleball. But then on the things that don't, don't matter as much to me, I'm turning the dial down. The guy at the dealership was like, yeah, you can get this for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I just need like the most basic Civic. I need zero features. Just like as long as it has air conditioning and heat, I think that's fine. And Bluetooth, I even probably, if you said Bluetooth an extra hundred bucks, and now I'd probably give him that hundred bucks for Bluetooth. I was going to say, I could just use USB, but I think I would for a hundred bucks. I feel like Bluetooth is worth a hundred bucks. Anyway, so the point is pick the things that are important to you, spend money on them, but on the things that aren't, you need to cut costs. Lesson number four is around automation and paying yourself first. So let's do paying yourself first. So the concept here, and this is from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is another great book that I'd highly recommend. The idea is how most people go through life from a financial perspective is they'll make a thousand dollars. They'll spend it, right? Just like sort of meander through life, right? Groceries, restaurants, whatever. And then whatever is left over, then they'll say, okay, I'll save that. I'll invest that, whatever, right? So maybe they get a thousand, there's $20 left. They'll be like, okay, I can save that. That's the wrong way to do it. What you should do is you get the $1,000. You say, what are my savings and investment goals? Maybe it's $100 a month. And then you spend what's left over. So the distinction is save first, then spend, right? That's what you want to do. Save first, then spend versus what most people do is spend first, then save. That's the distinction. That's what's called paying yourself first. And this gets into like automation. So the way I pay myself first is at the beginning of each year, I automate all my finances. So when I get paid, certain amount goes to savings, certain amount goes to Bitcoin, certain amount goes to my brokerage, and then the rest goes to my checking account. And then I just spend what's left over in my checking account. What I always tell people is, I use the example of ice cream. If there's ice cream in my freezer, I will eat it. Even if I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm at the grocery store on Wednesday. I'm going to buy it. I'll eat it Friday night. I'll eat it. On a similar note, I think most people, including me, if money is in their checking account, they will spend it. So this brings up another idea around like discipline. And my friend Colton Richards came up with this. Like a lot of times people think discipline is, hey, I'm going to look at the ice cream in the freezer and not eat it. But what he says is, look, you should actually think about discipline one step to the left, which means the people who don't eat a lot of ice cream are the ones that don't have ice cream in their house. Or like if someone gets to the gym a lot, not that they get to the gym a lot and they just like will, will themselves every day, but they do these little things. They have an accountability partner. They wake up early. They put the alarm clock across the room. They set their clothes out. There's these little discipline hacks. So they're they're trying to hack their discipline muscle. They're not just exercising pure discipline and things like that. So that's sort of what I'm doing with the automation is I know if the money's in my checking account, I'm going to spend it. When you automate and you pay yourself first, then you spend what's left over, then I think you're setting yourself up for success. Lesson number five 
is hit singles and doubles. Naval Ravikant has this quote, like all the benefits in life come from compound interest. And right, everyone's seen the quote, like, would you rather have a dollar that gets 10% every day or a million dollars now, like and that exponential growth. So I'm not going to go there. But I think the point is, you have to be okay with starting somewhere. So I think what a lot of people do is they you maybe they go to lesson number four, and they want to automate and they realize, look, I can only save $25 a month, but you have to start somewhere. And then I think when they say, well, since I can only save 30, since I can only save $30 a month or whatever, then I'm just going to do zero. And then a year goes by and they're still in the same spot. And I think what you just have to do is you have to start somewhere. You have to be okay with hitting singles and doubles and just trust the process and trust that over time, that stuff will aggregate. The example I'll, I'll give is I remember making my first investment in my uh, my E-Trade account. I was walking I was walking Bentley, which is my parents' dog. And um, I, w- I was so excited. I think it was like 500 or $1,000. And little by little by little, every Every month I would invest and invest and invest more money. And it was like 200, 300, 500, whatever it was, right? Just little by little by little. And then all of a sudden, one day last summer, I was like, holy crap, that's actually a lot of money in there. But that that wasn't, I think too many people want to go from zero to $50,000 overnight. What you have to do is you have to trust the process, do it little by little. And then over time, trust that it'll grow into something meaningful. meaningful. My uncle always tells me like, look, you have to be okay with hitting singles and doubles. Over time, those singles and doubles add up and add up and add up. And it's the example where when you hit singles and doubles, you're not going to be driving a Lamborghini or driving a beach house, or uh, you definitely will be driving a beach house. I think, I don't know if that's possible, but, but I think wealth creation is a long game and I'm playing the long game. And I think when you hit singles and doubles and singles and doubles for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, that's when the Lamborghinis and the beach houses will come. So those are my five lessons on wealth creation. It's funny, I actually was going to do this for podcast number one. I I went to the routine and I actually lost the agenda. But when I was recreating the agenda for, for this podcast, the same five lessons came up. So that was like a litmus test that these are truly my my five lessons or my, I shouldn't even call them lessons. They're really like five thoughts on wealth creation. Lesson number one, the millionaire next door mentality. Do you want to appear rich or do you want to be rich? Lesson number two on wealth definition. Think about it as a unit of time versus measured in dollars. Lesson number three, the money dial. What are, where are the areas in your life that you want to spend more money and maybe a little bit less money? Lesson number four, automate your finances, pay yourself first, save, then spend, not spend, then save. And lesson number five, be okay with hitting singles and doubles. That stuff over time will add up. Hope you enjoyed this, the show today. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next week. 